You're listening to Recovery Nuggets Podcast, where we give you recovery nuggets to chew on and think about on your journey in recovery and on the path, featuring your host, David Clemen. Hey, all you recovery nuggets out there. Just a quick intro to this mini nugget. I recorded this last Wednesday. Uh, Last Wednesday was kind of an emotional week, if you will. Um, I felt like I was mourning and grieving a lot of things from the past that aren't really in my life anymore, but I couldn't put a finger on it. But also, um, I just kind of was talking about, you know, the idea of the pain of continuing to do the same thing that's not working versus the pain of trying something different, but your life changing, you know, like if the, the pain is great enough to stay the same or I don't know what I'm trying to say here. What I'm trying to say is (laughs) there comes a point when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of trying to do something different. And then that's when things change. My dog wants to come in here. Sophie May. Sophie May. She's become the quite the little princess lately. Haven't you so? Yeah. So she's looking at me like I have three heads now. She's like, give me the snacks. Anyway, hope you enjoyed this week's mini nugget. I'm getting ready to go to work, but I wanted to put out a little bit of a nugget. So enjoy. What's up, all you recovery nuggets out there? This is David. Turn the volume up here. What's up, all you recovery nuggets out there? It's David, your host. Just wanted to do a quick check-in. It is Wednesday, April 13th. Here in the Recovery Nuggets studio. And uh, I was just looking through some writings and poems that I wrote when I first got clean. And I was trying to think back to that time. And, um, man, it was so long ago. I mean, the first time I got clean was in 2001. And it was before 9-11. And I was living with my dad under his house arrest. And, uh, man, what a time. I went to an outpatient program. Well, I went to detox. Then I went to an outpatient program. I think like six or eight weeks. I was still smoking Camel Lights back then. I was drinking Red Bulls. I was going to AA meetings, living with my dad, no job. And uh, man, I thought my life was over. I mean, I thought it was over. I thought there was no chance of redemption at all. And um, man. Apparently, it wasn't over, and I had to go through what I had to go through to get to where I'm at today at almost 50 years old, coming up this summer, and um, wow, it was just reading about poems where, you know, a lot of people, when they first get clean or sober, they write like a love letter breaking up with 
the girlfriend or the lover, which is the substance, alcohol or drugs. And there's a poem in there that I break up with cocaine. And, and, uh, it's just funny because it, it, I see it a lot, you know, when people first let it go, because it was something that it's hard to let go of because it was always there for me, you know? And, um, you know, there were a lot of, uh, kind of free flowing writings in there. And then realizing how I feel about my parents and a lot of the lessons that I learned from them, because I was living with my dad and seeing him on a day to day basis at the time. And, um, you know, as I've gotten better, I've been able to look at him differently. You know, I always, I had beef with dad a lot and, um, I didn't understand him and I knew he loved me, but we, you know, we, we had our, we definitely had our button heads and I don't know if that's a father son thing or a mother, you know, you hear about moms and daughters kind of bumping heads a lot and, you know, there's just that point when a young person wants to rebel against what their parents are teaching them, because it's like, I want to prove it on my own. And, uh, there was a lot of that in there. And, um, but it also, there were times in the writings that I was reading about where I was beating myself up still for the addiction. Uh, I hadn't really got any recovery. I just got abstinence and I'm going to hold on. I'm going to pull some of these out and just read a couple. This is from 2001. So uh, this is literally the first time I got clean. And um, I'll read this poem. July 1st, 2001. The weekend has been great, but not as great as my life since I got off the pot, the coke and the drinks. For all of the above drowns and sinks your dreams and hopes. We think, we think it copes our problems and pain as well as internal strain. It does none of the above. It suffocates and does it tightly like an isotoner glove. Love is not an option when on the social lubricants. How can you love yourself or another when you only love the brother or sister that causes you so much harm and takes away your charm? If I have to, I will bear arms to keep that shit out of my life. And, uh, you know, it's a young man that was 27 years old and living with his dad literally under his own house arrest that, you know, my dad put me under because I was just out of control. And, um, I'm grateful for that. And, uh, it, it kept me clean for a while, but once I got back out on my own, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to give it up yet. You know, the consequences weren't great enough. And, um, you know, it, it takes what it takes to get there. And, um, it's just interesting. I was writing down what I was eating for breakfast, three egg whites, small bowl of cantaloupe, small glass of juice, one cup of coffee, one sugar. And, uh, it's just, it's just funny to have this stuff to reflect back on. And, um, you know, when we first get 
clean or sober or let go of something, there's this super uncomfortable time where that old life is done. It it's it's in the past. There's no way we can get back to it. Whether it was good or bad, it's just it's done. And so we try to recreate it. That's what I tried to do by continuing to use. And like a lot of my friends had matured and they could do it on weekends or whatever, but that just wasn't my case. I mean, I was once I got into the heavier drugs, it was on. Like that's and I a lot of times I was towards the end I was really using it against my will. Like I would I would say I'm not going to do it today. There's no way I'm going to do it today. I'm going to call and check on the dealer just to see how he's doing. I'm not going to get some now. I'm just going to call and see how he's doing. And then it was this real insidious thing. And then I'm on the way to the dealers and I'm saying, okay, I'm not going to, I'm just going to go over there and just see how they're doing. Da, da, da. He's having a barbecue. That actually happened one time. And I went over there and I got what I really wanted and I couldn't get out of there fast enough to use again. And that's how insidious the addiction will be when we're in the middle of it. Literally using against our will. And um, I don't miss that, you know. And I can get like that now with sugar. You know, right now I've been, I don't know what's going on. I just kind of have gotten off my food. And um, I can almost eat unhealthily in a weird way, like, uh, not that I'm trying to get away with something, but I'm justifying it because I do so many other things that are good for me. And it's a weird thing that we do. I mean, I know that I do it and, um, I'm getting ready to get back on my healthy food kick. And, uh, you know, there's a part of my brain that's like, yeah, but you love sugar. <laughs> You really love cake and doughy things and, you know, soda and all that stuff. And um, it just becomes a habit. It really starts to take over, you know, and you go, all right, I'm only going to have one Coke Zero today. And then it's like, oh, I'm having another one today. And then you're like, well... It doesn't have any sugar, but it's got aspartame. So it's this whole thing where you can just drive yourself crazy. And then there's a rebellious part of of me that I'm like, well, I'm going to prove that I can eat unhealthy and still not gain weight. See? And um, it's just bizarre world, right? But that's why a lot of addiction doesn't make sense to people. They go, why don't they just stop? And... The person usually, I know for me, when it was really bad with drugs and alcohol, and it was more so the drugs than the alcohol, but I definitely was a binge drinker for sure. And um, I remember driving drunk a couple times and passing out in the driveway once I got home. And uh, there were there were times that I was definitely either protected or just really lucky. And I'm grateful to still be around and that I didn't never hurt anyone with that kind of behavior. And, uh, man, it, you know, it, when you can stop, 
you don't want to. And when you want to, you can't. That was a line in the movie. um, The guy Heath Ledger was in this movie. I can't remember the name of it, but I think the father in the movie says that line. He says, you know, the problem with drugs is when you can stop, you don't want to. And when you want to, you can't stop. And that is really, that was really my experience. And it was very difficult to stop and stay stopped. And that's what a lot of this recovery stuff has taught me is that once I put it down, it's a choice picking it back up, you know, and I do believe that, uh, it is a disease when you are using and, um, but ultimately it did come down to me stopping the actual compulsion to pick up the drugs. And that was a choice. So, you know, there are tools to stop and stay stopped and I have to do the work and I still have to do the work. I still have to go to meetings. I still have to read. I still have to journal. I still have to practice spiritual principles. And they're not all big. They're not all big things. A lot of times it's just communication, identifying feelings, um, putting things in their place as far as, um, things in the past, letting them go, whether I was in the wrong or someone wronged me. Um, they're not really serving me anymore either way. Um, this week I felt a little, I guess, nostalgic about the past, but also have felt like I am really letting all that go and all those ideas about who I was and those stories of me being brought up. They're not, they're kind of cringy for me now. Like I don't really, I don't enjoy, you know, friends bringing them up and kind of giving me a hard time about it. Um, it just doesn't, it's kind of keeping me in a place that I'm not anymore. And I have to be okay with where I'm going and what I'm doing. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for this time of year. It's the spring here in North Carolina. So we'll get at least two to three days of spring and then it'll be summer and that'll be really hot. (laughs) But what I mean is that being outside, having coffee outside in the mornings, being in the yard, planting and you know, buying flowers and weeding and all that stuff that goes with having a beautiful backyard, which is one of my hobbies. I really get a lot of enjoyment out of it, out of it, along with, you know, wind chimes and a um, small water fountain that my mom got me. And, um, it's just a peaceful place, you know, cause for so long I didn't have peace. I didn't have peace within and I didn't have peace within my, um, environment because of my actions and uh you know i work at a peaceful place it's very calm and my home life is curated in a way that there's beautiful art everywhere we have an awesome little dog and uh, oil diffusers around so it's it's by choice that it's a peaceful place to come home to and um it takes a while to get there you know, and if you're new and you're, you're struggling and you're in, you have some chaos in your life, you know, um, I feel for you and it, it just takes what it takes to put the drugs or alcohol down 
or if it's food, whatever the your thing is you're, that you're trying to recover from and stay stopped on. Um, I know for me, the gift of desperation was one of the main factors that helped me quit and stay quit. And uh, the guilt and shame works a little bit, but there was a desperation that <sighs> I knew there was a I knew there was a better life because I had gotten a taste of it before I got into all that stuff. I felt it, you know, and um, I gave it away. You know, a lot of times you hear people say they lost everything. It's like, no, I gave it away for one more hit you know, one more drug. And, um, I gave away some really good relationships and I gave away a lot of my self-respect, my dignity, my confidence. I gave a lot of that stuff away because I didn't know, I didn't value myself. And the more I did drugs, the less I valued myself. And then, um, maybe I slept with someone that I didn't, it just was a, it didn't mean anything. And so I, I valued myself even less. And then I quit a job that maybe I liked or I didn't show up and I got fired. And so my confidence kind of spiraled. And so it's like this insidious depth that we go to. And then I remember it was towards the end of my using this last time. And I was delivering telephone books in August in North Carolina. And you had to go over to this tractor trailer that was just parked behind like a CVS or some drugstore. You had to get as many of the phone books as you could and put them in your car and then take your address list and drive around and drop off. And they had to be in bags or you didn't get paid. And uh, I did it for like a week and a half and I got $250. And that is where, and, and no, um, disrespect to the people that were doing it as well but i was looking around and i'm like wow this is where my life is and i also remember going to a pawn shop and i had i had a microwave i had like five or six watches and a few other items that I tried to take to the pawn top to sell to get some more money for some more drugs. And um, I think this was like a week or two before I got clean this last time. And I remember like <clears throat> they wanted to give me $5 for a microwave and it had ants in it. And the guy was like, I can't take this. And then the watches my parents had bought and there were some other, I can't remember, but I think the grand total was going to be like $33. He was going to give me for all this stuff. Oh, and there was a camera in there. There was a camera in there and I was going to get like maybe 20 bucks for that. I mean, it was, it was very demeaning, um, humbling, embarrassing. I mean, you, you, I was full of shame and guilt and um, I was pretty hopeless at that point. I mean, $5 for an ant filled microwave, you know, and, uh, and 
Fortunately, I got that gift of desperation to where I was ready to make some serious changes. And it took what it took. It took what it took. Um, I don't ever want to live like that again. I can tell you that much. I I just don't want to go there ever again. And the hope is that I don't have to. But what I had to do was I had to surrender to the fact that I could not use successfully. You know, a lot of people say that they have a problem with the terminology in 12 step where it says we're powerless over either alcohol or our addiction. Um, and the, I'm not powerless over as a person. I think that's what gets misconstrued. Like I'm not powerless. I have choice. There's choice in all this. But once I put the substance inside of my body, alcohol or drugs, then I am powerless because <clears throat> it kind of opens up that Pandora's box. It opens up, it reignites the disease. Some people say the, you know, the monster's out of the cage. Um, it's hard to get it back in once you let it out and all those things. And, um, but when I'm not using, then I do have a choice and I, I do, I am powerful, you know, um, so if that's holding you back from going to 12 step, you know, it's just my experience. You don't have to take it for whatever. I'm just, you know, we can play devil's advocate a lot and discount ourselves from what actually can help us, you know, because you say, oh, well, I'm not like that person. So, you know, I didn't end up under a bridge doing sexual favors for drugs. So I'm not an addict. Well, okay. But, did I use secretively? Did I try to hide it? Did I use money for drugs and alcohol or whatever the thing is instead of paying a bill? Did I, um, did I have anxiety the next day because of what I did? Did I, uh, live like two or three secret lives to continue to do what I was addicted by to me that's powerlessness like you know if i'm running around hiding doing something that i know i shouldn't be doing or i, I want to stop doing but i can't stop doing it that's powerlessness um and so by surrendering it doesn't mean i'm weak it's just I, i'm surrendering to the using it's like, I, you know what? I wave the, wave the white flag. I give up. I can't do it successfully. I've, pr I've proven it a thousand times that I can't stop after one. Um, and here's the thing. Like, I'm almost 16 years clean. And sometimes people say, well, you probably could handle it now. And it's like, no, maybe I could. But I, I am not, I'm not willing to risk it. I'm just not willing to risk it. What if I can't? That's the that's the question that I always ask after that is said. What if I can't stop? And my life is so much better without it that I just I'm okay with it not being a part of my life. 
you know, this, uh, I have a note, I think I've shared this before, but I have a note that I wrote last September. It says, help me help others with this podcast. And that's really why I started it because I didn't know how to do all this. And someone showed me in the 12 steps and then I've done a lot of other work outside of 12 steps, but, uh, it's a good place to start. I can, I can definitely share that. And I'm not a religious person. So if you're saying, Oh, well, it's religious, you know, I don't know what to tell you. It's not a religious program. It's spiritual. Um, they do use the word God, but I can use the word God and just say good orderly direction. That's kind of what I look at it. I mean, I'm more into like universal energy and, and, um, spirit and things like that versus, um, the almighty heaven and hell. I'm not into that. I, I'm, I guess I'm more into the idea of loving, caring and understanding and wants the best for me as my higher power. That works for me, you know, whatever works for you. I, I, hey, and, and check it out. I've like, I've listened to a lot of re religious stuff as far as Christianity goes, and there are good messages. And even like the Dalai Lama, he doesn't, um, you know, he talks about like there are good things that he hears in there as well. You know, um, you just I had to find something that worked for me. And um, it's not my parents. It's not my friends. It's not my sponsors. It's what works for me. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at today. I'm not sure where this one's going, but I've been trying to drop some mini nuggets in here on the mini nugget. And. um this year, I am planning on going to a podcast convention. Uh, I'm putting that into the universe. And I have some trips planned this year that I'm excited about. And I'm coming up on 50 years old, which is, I never thought I would see 50, especially when I was using. I was one of those, oh, I'll, I probably won't live past 30 and blah, blah, blah. And um, I'm still here. I'm glad to be here. So that's, uh, that's cool to be a part of this life still and sharing with others and being a part of it. And, uh, you know, I've still got some great guests coming up. I was going to wrap up this first season, but people keep re reaching out to me and, you know, so I'm not going to stop the train right now. I'm going to keep it going. And, um, we're coming up on a thousand plays. It's the podcast has been, Played 900 and let me go to the 970 times. The estimated audience is about 34, but sometimes it's gone up to 60 or 70 per episode. It's been listened to in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 countries. And, um, you know, I get feedback all the time that this, this podcast is really helping people that listen to it. And that's, that's the motivation for this, you know, coming up on 30 episodes and there's four or five in the vault in the recovery nuggets vault of nugget. -um. And so I'm here. It's, uh, it's about seven 30 where I'm at. I think I'm going to go outside while I still have some sunlight. But I just wanted to hop on and tell you that uh, I appreciate you listening. So whatever you're going through, maybe it's um, 
maybe you're dealing with some family stuff. Maybe you're dealing with something that you don't like about yourself. Maybe you are dealing with a physical ailment. Maybe you are still struggling with not using. Maybe you are using. Um, just know that you're not alone. There are other people that can share with you and help with your situation and that recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. And I have to make the decision that I'm going to do something about it. You know, the, the guest, Dr. Jamie Marich was on and she was talking about how her first sponsor said, you know, she shared all this stuff with her sponsor. And then she said, you know, Jamie, it's, it's no wonder you became an addict. So there was the validation, right? It's no wonder that you became an addict or alcoholic. And then her sponsor challenged her and she goes, now what do you want to do about it? So I would ask yourself, like, what are you willing to do to make, they don't have to be big changes, but what are you willing to do? Are you willing to journal in the morning? Are you willing to read a daily meditation? Are you willing to maybe go to that first meeting? And there are non-religious meetings and uh, groups that deal with recovery. And they're online. You could do them on Zoom. If you don't want to show your face, you don't have to put the camera on. And um, But what are you willing to do? Are you willing to try a new, um, new way of life? Because that's what it's all about, is walking away from the old life in hopes of the new life being different and more likely better than the old way of life. And that is scary as shit if you think about it. If you've been doing something your whole life a certain way, but it's gotten to a point where it's not working anymore, and then you're faced with the pain of staying the same or the uncomfortable feeling of changing but it being better. Ooh. That's what I'm talking about. Because if I keep doing the same shit, I know what I'm going to get. I know what I'm going to get. M more misery. And uh, I'll share this before I get off here. My first sponsor, he said to me, he was like, look, try this out for 90 days. Really give it your best effort. And if it's if if it doesn't work, you can go back out there and your misery will be refunded in full 100%. And that that at first pissed me off. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? Go back out and get your own misery, you know? But it seems to be true. If you go back out there, the misery is refunded almost instantaneously. And uh, I don't want to live like that today. I hope you are out there and I'm giving you some hope. Like it is worth it. Recovery is possible. I'm so grateful for this podcast and the people that I'm meeting. And uh, I've got some really interesting episodes coming up. I've got an episode that I've been um, on the fence about, but I believe I'm going to air it and uh more will be revealed on that and uh with that i want to thank you again for tuning in and um 
I'm pulling for you no matter what you're going through. And uh, thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening to Recovery Nuggets podcast. I want to thank our guests this week. And uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can reach out on Instagram at Recovery Nuggets podcast. And the email is recoverynuggetspodcast at gmail.com. Also, like and subscribe on Spotify and Apple. And be great if you leave a five-star review. That really helps out the podcast. And I really want to thank you for showing up for your recovery today. Disclaimer, Recovery Nuggets podcast and guests are not representatives of any 12-step program. I am not a doctor, counselor, or therapist. I share my experiences, strength, and hope. Guests of the show share their personal experiences and opinions. Take what you like and leave the rest. Each person's journey in recovery is unique. Thank you for listening to Recovery Nuggets podcast.